This morning's reading comes from Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's light, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, we Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their, conscien their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. When a musical runs for as long as Les Mis has, Les Miserables has, uh, you wind up with a multitude of people singing the different parts. If, you've, uh, if you have ever uh, seen the musical in person, you've been blessed by that. If you have gone to the theater, it is a joy to see Mindy and Sammy and Trey. Trace, there we go. Sorry, that just completely took me off course. If you've had the opportunity to see it live, you've been blessed. Um, maybe you've seen one of the film adaptations. Uh, you will uh, you'll have people who like different ones. I simply want to recommend, if you've never seen the story before, Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, one of the great novels, uh, very old, written in the 1800s, and um, it, it has such a powerful Christian message. In a very similar way to Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol, has this underlying and very powerful Christian message. Les Mis carries that same message in, in many ways at a much deeper kind of level. Um, I, if you're going to watch, if you need to know the story, look for Liam Neeson on the cover. Everybody know Liam Neeson? If you get DVD, Liam Neeson, it doesn't have any music. It just tells the story. So you'll get the story. And then if you want the songs to really be given the context that can best uh, describe them, the most recent form with Hugh Jackman and um, Russell Crowe and Anne Hathaway, um, you'll, you'll find that that brings the import of the music. But if you really enjoy the music and you're a person who loves that, as I am, uh, you need to find either the 10th anniversary concert or the 30th anniversary concert. Um, I never watch either one of the, the we have the 30th and ourselves and uh, it'll just the impact of the songs are, is incredible which to me is a, a little bit of a witness to the way the spirit works in in every single life and through the arts um, because Victor Hugo wrote this incredible message about the grace of God versus legalistic destruction and then Andrew Lloyd Webber got a hold of it and started writing songs. And I don't see Andrew Lloyd Webber necessarily as all that much of a believer. But he carried the message that Victor Hugo included in his book in these songs that will... I realize those, there are those of you who hate musicals. Um, and that's okay. Because it, God needs all kinds. Today's message will be for, 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 for that. But... Um, if you can watch one of those anniversary concerts and not be driven to your heart moving and your eyes welling up, then I, I don't know what to do with you other than not judge you. That would be the thing that I most need to do. In the 1800s, Victor Hugo's book, as it became more popular, uh, this was a very common thing. Winnie the Pooh went through this. The first book is published, but it, popularity grows, and an illustrator will come in. 
The center picture is the illustration of a character named Javert, which is the same character in all the pictures around it. He sings a song in the, in the musical called Stars. He is the representation, and, and I love the way the artist depicts him, not simply as what does his face look like, but how does his pose represent the idea of a legalistic understanding of the law that judgment is all that the law is for, and that there is no mercy to be extended to people because the law is the only thing that counts. And in reality, Javert's character represents the idea that I only understand God through the law. And therefore, everything that comes out of Javert is judgment. And his heart cannot continue to exist when he is faced with pure, unadulterated mercy. He can't survive it because all he lives for is law and judgment. Javert and judgment. Paul understood judgment. Paul understood the idea that uh, apart from the law, those we will perish. With the law, we will still be judged not by each other, but it is God and his righteousness. And that the idea of God's righteous and therefore good and just and fair and loving and merciful judgment that is part of the gospel proclamation. That is part of the good news of Christ. Because it isn't the judgment that you and I so often bring to the table. It isn't the judgment of legalism that comes to the table. It is the judgment of a righteous God. And we will hear more and more about the way God's righteousness gets revealed in the gospel. But to say that judgment isn't part of the gospel is to miss, as Paul says, the gospel that he preaches. But again, it's God judgment, God's judgment not ours. As we mentioned last week, before he became Paul, Saul knew the judgment of Jesus Christ. It was personal, individual for him. It was visceral. The light knocked him from his horse and blinded him. It was a visceral experience on the road to Damascus. But the thing is that judgment for Paul transformed him from being the persecutor of the gospel into the man that we call and know so well as Paul, the proclaimer of the gospel. But again, that was God's judgment, not human judgment. Paul also, in this situation, experienced human judgment. As he went into Damascus and the Christians there would have nothing to do with him. And it took the Spirit, Christ, speaking to one of the Christians there to go and to reach out and to proclaim the gospel to Paul. Let's continue the reading by jumping back to the beginning, to chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read down to where uh, DJ picked up the reading. Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. We, you say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. 
Do not imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But by your hard and impertinent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For he will repay according to each one's deeds to those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. While for those who are self-seeking, who obey not the truth, but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil. The Jews first, and also the, Gent- the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first, and also the Greek. For God, being righteous and good, shows no partiality. Our celebration of God's good news has moved through chapter 1 now where we looked at the way God reveals his righteousness in Jesus Christ and in a salvation that is offered to absolutely everyone. That good news of Christ is contrasted with as we enter into chapter 2 the revelation, same way that God's righteousness was revealed, the revelation of God's wrath which is highlighted by God's righteous judgment. My wife asked me, have we gotten to the good part yet this week? And I said, no, no, we've got one, maybe one and a half more weeks of kind of the hard part of as Paul unfolds the message of the gospel. And so I hope that you'll continue to listen, even though these are the hard parts of the great celebration of God's good news. God's wrath, as we talked about last week, is not something about God being personally angry and just kind of something, pick one thing and injudiciously just wiping something out. God's wrath is really about turning people over to that which they choose to pursue. Adam and Eve said, we want to choose our own way. And God said, well, if you want your own way, then you can't stay in the garden anymore. That is what I told you, and you brought that on yourself. He told Israel, live in relationship with me. Live in this covenant. I will bless you in this covenant. Turn only to me. And Israel said over and over and over again, no, I think we'll get our answers elsewhere. And so God said, okay, I'll turn you over to where that leads you. And in the same way, Romans chapter 1 very powerfully talks about the idea that when our minds turn away from seeing God as the center of our life. And by the way, even if we are people who don't know the God of the Bible, and this week we'll talk about that even more, even in that case, when we live in a way that is contrary to what is clearly a revealed natural order of things, then we bring about, God simply allows for His for, for the results of our choice to be to take a place in our lives. Celebrating the good news has to always be contrasted to where we would be without God. Amen? And where we would be without God is not where God wants to leave us, nor does it have to be where we stay. Again, these words from this passage, and they, they continue to echo, 
have to be placed in that historical light of this church that Paul is writing to, whom he so desperately wants to help them be a great light in this greatest city of the whole Roman Empire because of the experience of the Jews and Jewish Christians being kicked out. And now, five years later, they've been reintroduced. And it has produced all of these arguments Instead of a a grand reunion of celebrating all that God continued to do in their absence and now can do even more when they've come back. Celebrating all that God did even though they were in other foreign places. Aquila and Priscilla being in Corinth probably was a result of being kicked out of Rome. And yet they blessed Paul's ministry. They taught Apollos. So many good things. It could have been such a celebration, this reuniting. But instead it brought judgment it brought disunity it brought people who came in and said you've been doing it wrong the whole time we've been gone because we know that God calls on us to to follow some requirements of the law the law of Moses and it took people and then Gentiles standing there and said we didn't need you all the time anyway and you're not welcome here if you're bringing that stuff with you and one would judge based on their own perspective and the other would judge based on their own perspective and Paul says at its root judgment may be one of the ultimate ways in which we break God's law if I could summarize what Paul says earlier it might look like this when we stop giving thanks to God when we start letting idolatry take our thanks and our praise away from God, then we violate Jesus' ultimate call. And I would make the argument that Paul here is not, when he talks about this, the the Gentiles being a law to themselves, he is not really talking very, uh, just kind of enigmatically out there in the wild. I think he sees what Jesus calls us to, to love God, being able to be perceived by people who haven't even read the Torah. They don't know who the God of the Bible is. They don't know who the true one living God is, Jehovah. But if, as secular philosophers, Plato and Cicero, recognize that the universe and everything that we see and experience points towards a first mover or an ultimate giver, that if that ultimate power exists in the universe, then we should be understanding that we are humble to something greater than ourselves. For the Jew, they know exactly who this great first mover is. Jehovah God, amen? The creator of the universe. They know his story. But for the Gentile, to be aware of what even secular philosophers could kind of point to, the idea that there is something greater than us, that instead we take upon ourselves the idea of, I'll make the rules for my life. I won't recognize that there's anyone more powerful. I will not humble myself to anyone. I will only depend on my own ability to exert power over others. That we violate a natural law that can be seen anywhere. And when we do that, whether we are people of the law, Jews, and in so many ways, these words that he speaks to the Jews need to communicate us as people who are generational Christians. 
who've grown up with a sense of, of there's a, a special set of rules that you need to do if you're a Christian. And we can see ourselves as saying, I know who God is and I want to do everything to love him in my life. But in the same way, someone who doesn't know God can violate that principle. You and I can violate that principle by not letting him be the ultimate Lord of our life. This week, we step into these words. When we judge others, when we stand in judgment, and and again, you need to understand, this is in some ways speaking to a circle of people inside a church. Christians who have Jewish background and are holding on to some of the remnants of the law, and Christians who've never known the law, or at least have never been subjected to the, the law of Moses and its requirements. But I think the call is even bigger. When we judge others, we violate that second universal truth that I think Jesus brings up and Paul sees as naturally being able to be discerned. If we understand there is a greater mover than ourselves, those same philosophers can recognize that humankind is a very different kind of of being on the earth. Now God will say very directly, if you love me, Jesus will say very directly, if you love God, then you need to be sure that that love for God is expressed in love for one another. But even in natural law, the idea that somehow or another, I have the right to belittle you, to abuse you, to take advantage of you, to exert whatever power I have to take advantage of you, would be in violation of a natural law. They're laws that we're very familiar with. You and I know the idea. We can quote it. I hope you can quote it. Love the Lord your God. Say it with me. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Good, good Hellenistic, good Hellenistic Christians. And love your neighbor as yourself. We recognize these things. And when we step into anything that goes beyond those ideas... Of I recognize the imprint of God that every person I encounter, no matter how rich or poor, no matter how much they are engaged in a lifestyle that makes me feel comfortable and that I recognize as being uh, aligned with what I think ought to be done with human life or even the life that is very opposed to it, we have to be people who sit back and say, I will not condemn I will love my neighbor. And you never know when the process of loving a neighbor, even a neighbor who works so incredibly hard to push you away, they know you're a Christian. They're going to say all the curse words in front of you. They're going to be ridiculous in the way that they talk about evil things just to get you to react, just to see if they can make you hate them because that affirms in their own lives See, he's no better. When we judge others, we violate the call of Christ to love people. So we need to be people who do not step into that kind of judgment. I'm calling it repenting of judgment. So let's unpack these three ideas just a little bit if we can. First of all, to be a people who are repenting of judgment, we need to recognize that we are all 
and always in need of the forgiveness that God offers. That we are all in the need of God's forgiveness and we are always in need of that forgiveness. Now I want to be sure and find something that, that may be misunderstood. Uh, Vic, thank you very much. I didn't cue Vic to do this, but Vic did what we always do in our prayers. Because in the pra- model prayer that Jesus gave us, he said we should ask, forgive us our, you know, pick your, pick your translation, debts, transgressions, and the most simple ones, forgive us our sins. And I love the way that both Matthew and Luke make sure and say, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But see, we need to understand that even this idea of being called to ask for forgiveness is not a contradiction to the forgiveness that Christ has made possible for us in the past, makes possible for us every single moment of our life, amen, and has already in such a powerful way fit us for the kingdom of God because of his great forgiveness. The problem is, is that we can become people like the folks that John was writing to somewhere in Asia probably in 1 John. And in first chapter he says, says I, I know who Christ is. And what I need you to know is that if you stand up and say, I, as a Christian, stand up and say, I have no sin, you're antithetical to what God's good news is. Because what you're saying when you say that is that I can do my own sin forgiving. I can do what only God can do. We need to rest in the reality of that forgiveness. Amen? But we never need to take the forgiveness that Christ gives us through the waters of baptism because they represent his death, burial, and resurrection covered with his blood, completely consumed in it such that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. Amen? But when we take that and say, that's mine in the sense of I do it myself, then we leave behind the gospel of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I look out on this audience and I see this amazing group of people who work so hard, don't just work so hard, but partner with the Holy Spirit for their lives to be transformed. And I love the way I see that. That's one of the great advantages of being here for more than 10 years is you watch transformation take place. And you don't just watch transformation take place because you watch children who were, who were barely born when you got here to grow up. You watch humans become less sin, sinful nature, objects of wrath, and become much more of the people of the Spirit. Amen? You get to watch that happen. But that doesn't happen with a sense of pride of, look what I have done. It's so easy for us to stand here. And particularly when you take the message like last week, and that idea of depraved minds and God turning them over, and and exchanging natural relationships for unnatural relationships. It's easy for us to sit back and point fingers and say, yes, look at all they have done. And God comes back and says, no, I'm looking at you. And if you think that somehow or another you can live beyond those basic requirements of the law, I encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount. 
Chapter 5 and 6 have these sections. You've heard the law say, but I say to you that there's a greater fulfillment. And I would challenge you that not all of us live up. In fact, I would challenge me to say that I never fully reach all that God wants me to be. But thankfully, I stand in the forgiveness of Christ. Secondly, we need to be sure that we work very hard to define the difference between judgment that condemns and judgment that discerns. When Paul uses the word judgment in this passage, he uses it in the sense of Jewish Christians standing there and condemning Gentiles because they're not living up to some set of legalistic standards that they have defined as essential to being God's people. And make no mistakes, the Gentiles turn right around and they point at the Jews and say, you foolish, and, and, and they'll use the word, and this should ring a bell if you've read through the entire book, you weak people. We know better. We know God's grace and his mercy and the spirit life of the Spirit. We are so much greater than you are. And they speak words of condemn, condemnation. But at every single time that Jesus will say, don't judge one another, and Paul will echo his words and say, don't judge each other, he will also speak and say, you always have to be about the process of discerning what is wise living. Opening the word of God and saying, how am I to live today? How am I to understand what God has revealed in his word, the way the spirit works in my life to point me in a direction that is about wise living and living into a greater and greater level of loving God and loving others? And being able to do that and discern for myself and to teach my family and to teach those ideas about a wise living and to never step into the idea of condemning someone else through judgment is an important process for all of us who want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, who reserved, by the way, most of his harshest words for the people who thought they lived most closely to what God wanted them to be. But when he ran into tax collectors and the general moniker of sinners, he just told stories and laughed and was the joy of the party while he constantly pointed towards a God who loved them even though their lives were not everywhere they needed to be. Third, we're going to be repenting from judgment we need to always be celebrating the freedom we have of humble confession and humble profession has god gifted you with parents has god gifted you with maybe a friend or a co-worker has god's gifted you with someone who introduced you to christ that's not about you being good that's about a gracious gift from God. Amen? And maybe you recognize that there are people in your life who had opportunities like that, but I can promise you, there are so many folks that didn't have the power of that message of the gospel presented them in a way that they could take it in and let it be theirs. I want to humbly, consistently confess 
how much I need Jesus. But I always want to profess the need for everyone to have Jesus. The question will be, will I step into that profession with a humble heart that knows how much I need that message, or will I step into that message with an arrogant heart that doesn't reflect the love for others that God would have me have, have me live out, and I stand in judgment when I profess the mercy and the grace of Christ. Can you see the contradiction there? As opposed to professing the great invitation, the great invitation that salvation has been made available to all through Jesus Christ. Repenting of judgment. As we close, as I just did, I want to take you back to verse 6 then. Because the good news is that, by the way, even for sinful judgers like I can be and have been, that there is salvation available through Jesus Christ. It will always be about God's power being greater and God's forgiveness being greater than my own inabilities and my failings. And so I proclaim to you this message, this message of God's salvation for all. God's salvation even for those who you might sit in condemnation of. But God says, no, my love is great enough, not just for them, but to change them. Because his love is great enough, not just for me, but to change me too. We're not broadcasting. If you have a friend who needs to reach out, who would like to have some questions answered, this would be a great way for them to, uh, if they want to stay in some sort of anonymity in that conversation, they can send a message here. I check it every day. Just looking to see if someone needs something. Maybe you need something. Maybe you need to talk to your neighbor, your husband, your wife, someone here. Say, I, I, I need to come to grips with this idea of being discerning about the life I live, but not condemning other words, others. I need to come to grips with a little more about what it is to love God with everything I've got and how that impacts my loving of others and not condemning. Maybe you even need to talk to someone here, maybe one of our elders, about the way you've let your heart step into a judgment, even of your own brothers and sisters who don't see things the way you do, maybe don't do things the way you do. And you've kind of pushed them away. You may say hello, but your heart is not in it. But maybe, maybe you're one of those people who's ready to say, I want to put that stuff behind me and I want to be who God wants me to be. That starts in the waters of baptism and you're invited to come right now as we stand and as we sing. Just as I am without